0: I have a couple things to also tell you about on top of all of Becca's announcements. Um, uh, number one is we, have, we are helping uh, Casa of Hope do a barbecue fundraiser. They are, they are a, a, a ministry in town that helps women and people who are caught in sep- sex trafficking to get out of sex trafficking. And their budget kind of took a hit this year. And so they are doing a fundraiser on August 27th uh and tickets are available at the welcome center if you work someplace where people might want to buy those grab some from there take them to work and sell them there we told them we'd sell about 250 which should be easy because you guys like food and i know that but you can get them i i bought two this morning and be like aaron no just that's just bad anyway uh grab some tickets if you have some people at work you think might like some uh take them there as well and, and sell them we just want to make sure they're that is a success for them. The second thing I want to talk about is uh, restore Ukraine. Uh, down here in in the parking lot down there, you'll see that C train container. and. Each week for probably the next two or three months, maybe four or five until it gets full, we will have boxes in the back. You grab a box, you fill it, Uh, maybe you take it to work again, and you have people at work fill the box, and it's to get food over to Ukraine. What typically happens when a disaster strikes is it's in the middle of the news for a long time. Everybody focuses, oh, look at that, and then about two weeks, four weeks, a couple months later, it just all peters out. And this is one of the reasons this is good, because it's going to take us between two and four to five months to fill that container. And once it's full, that will get taken over to Ukraine, so they will have food, and so it's a way to not just get involved in the first couple months, but to continue to keep that going. If you haven't grabbed a box, grab one. Uh, Matt will be down. I think Matt and Janice both will be down at the C train later today, uh, collecting those if you have them today, or handing more boxes out down there. They'll be able to answer any questions you have, but we just wanted to throw that out there for you as well. Uh, I saw people grabbing boxes after last service, which was great. And the last thing I want to tell you about is we are doing a trivia night at Element, and... Trivia, I know people who don't go to trivia, they don't understand trivia. They think that we're going to make, it's like a game show, and you're going to stand up with other people and be like, what's the answer? I don't know. Lights are in my face. That's not how trivia works. How trivia is going to work is we're going to break you into teams. If you're in a gospel community, you can be a team. If you're not in a gospel community, you can sign up at the Welcome Center. We'll put you on a team. It's interesting because in dodgeball, there was a bunch of people who signed up individually, and they won the entire thing. I know. It's amazing. So in trivia, you're going to have a table full of people. We're going to ask 12 questions per round. There's going to be five rounds. You will get to discuss that at your table and you'll be like, what's the answer? And you'll be like, I don't know. Maybe it's this. And then you'll see how much you don't know, which will be great. And you learn all these useless things what you'll never use again in your life. But it's going to be a lot of fun as we gather you together. The Feed My Soul food truck is going to be here because you guys like food. In case you forgot so i have a food truck here uh bring your own beverages you bring whatever you want to drink within a reason um and and have those at the table and it's just going to be a whole lot of fun and so we encourage you guys to come i think it's august 24th it's a friday night at the very beginning of it you can bring your kids we're going to have childcare available so your kids don't have to be in the room we're going to do like a short little 10 part Trivia thing for the kids, and send them off to their classrooms, and you guys can just be like, "Woo, kid, free for an hour and a half with everything I don't know." It's gonna be so much fun. So sign up; it'll be great. Welcome to Element. If you're new, uh, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. And on the front side, you're gonna get the verses we're going through today. On the bottom, you're gonna get a place for a question. And if you Maybe you should save your questions this week till next week, because this is a two-parter, this week and next week. And on the back, you're going to get a short summation of what we talk about. Underneath that, some questions you can talk to your friends, your family, as you go out to lunch today, your gospel community about. But there are places to ask questions just kind of to reflect on what we talk about today. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get sermon notes versus questions announcements everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? I'm going to read this verse. Don't throw anything at me because we're going to talk about it later. But this is Deuteronomy 22, verses 28 and 29. If a man meets a virgin who is not betrothed and seizes her and lies with her, and they are found, then the man who lay with her shall give to the father of the young woman 50 shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife because he has violated her. He may not divorce her all his days. We will get to that. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we, at, we thank you for being a gracious and good God who sees us in the midst of our sin and our waywardness and constantly draws us back to yourself. And I ask that would be true today, that we would be drawn back to you in grace, understanding your mercy and your kindness, and that you would be glorified by how we live our lives and that we would be marked by joy because you have given us joy. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing this series at Element called Never Read a Bible Verse, not because we don't want you to read your Bible, but we want you to read your Bible in context to understand what it actually says. Last week, Steve Pruitt was here, and he gave you three good things which tied in with the first couple weeks of the series, but I wanted to re-hit what he said. He said, in this, we want to understand the big picture. The big picture of the Bible I told you weeks ago is it's all about Jesus. Everything is pointing eventually to the person of Jesus coming. That's the big picture. The other thing he told you is really essentially words mean things. And so there are words in context and they mean things that may not mean the same things to us today because many times they're written to an ancient culture. And so third thing is Everything must take place in context. There are many people throughout the centuries who have raged against the Bible and Christianity because they simply don't want to take the time to understand what it says in its original cultural context of which it's written. I personally have read of Buddhists and I say I mean American Buddhists not real Buddhists but American Buddhists who say Christianity is sexist and it promotes elitism it, it does not but I also find that funny because real Buddhism not only is sexist but it promotes classism because in real Buddhism, the only people who can reach nirvana, get off the reincarnation will of samsara, you have to be male, virgin, and in the priestly class. Those are the only people who can reach nirvana. So before we critique, we got to take a step back and understand what we're actually talking about especially the scriptures. So what we want you to do is to understand that you can trust the Bible for what it actually says. You don't have to buy into every bizarre thing that people who don't trust the Bible tells you that it says. You should actually listen to people who actually trust it and love the scriptures, not all the people who hate it. Listen to the ones who love it because there are strange laws in the Bible about not eating shrimp or not wearing woven fabrics of two different types like you know polyester cotton blend. Oh, no. You know, what do we do with that? Not getting tattoos. All those things people will pull out today and say, oh, look at that. Don't cut your sideburns. Whoops. You know, what do you do with that? You have to understand a lot of those laws are what we call magisterial laws. God was the king over Israel. And so God is setting his people apart in a way that anybody who ran into a Jew would know who they were because of what they look like. And so God set them apart that way. That was cultural. Many of those things don't apply to us in the same way. That doesn't mean the laws don't mean anything to us, but there is principles behind them that we can actually learn. And that's what we have to understand what is God actually saying because everything he has said in the scripture is good for us, it's useful for us which is going to lead into the two-parter we're doing today this week and next week and we're going to look at and hopefully answer just a little bit is the Bible anti-women and does the Bible promote misogyny because in our culture today that gets said a lot especially with all the stuff that's going on now Uh, Seth Andrews once wrote this I continue to be amazed when I see Christian women defending a Bible that denigrates women And I would say he obviously does not understand the Bible in its context. But he would also say the exact same thing about me, that I don't understand it. And there are verses when taken out of context seem really damning in the Bible, like the one I started with. You can read that and think, what? A man rapes a woman and she has to marry him? Well, that makes no sense at all. There are multiple examples in the Bible of polygamy. There are places where in the New Testament tells women to be silent in the churches. We're going to talk about that next week, so you've got to come back to hear that one. You know, but is the Bible anti-women? And that is a good question because there have been places culturally where people have taken the Bible out of context and use it to promote inequality. This is why we must understand what it actually says. I think things are looking a little different in America, but there are still big issues in America and around the world with the ideas of gender and sexuality and men and women and all of that. I told you this before. There was this children's book of letters that kids wrote to God, and this one little boy says, Dear God, are boys better than girls? I know you are one, but please don't let that influence your decision. <laughs> Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. So let me just say this at at the outset. In John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to a woman at a well. And when he talks to her, there are these things that he speaks about, that, that God is a spirit, which means he doesn't have a body, which means God doesn't have sexual organs, which means God doesn't have testosterone or estrogen. God's not male or female. He's both and neither at the same time, if that even makes sense. God does not shave. God transcends gender just as God transcends ethnicities. And so when God creates us, there's something really interesting going on in the scriptures. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Now those words are unique in the ancient world. It's saying that men do not reflect the image of God any better than women reflect the image of God. All humankind was made in the image of God, which means we have to rethink how we talk about male and female and God. We must be a people who literally take the plight of all people around the world into consideration as we live out the gospel in our lives. But I would say as the church today, we should also very seriously take the plight of of women and what's happening around us. Uh, all the way back in 1990, Amartya Sen wrote an essay. It was titled "More than 100 million women are missing." And this is about the gender imbalance in China and in India because in those places when a fetus is identified as being female, it is much more likely to be aborted. and if it is born, it is much more likely to be unwanted and abandoned. And so you think, well, we have to get better over time, right? 20 years later, uh, Mara Hispendale wrote her article called Unnatural Selection, Choosing Boys Over Girls and the Consequence of a World Full of Men. It's not anti-men or anything like that. It, It notes the exact same thing. In Asia, right now, there's an imbalance of 163 million males over females. And as I said, the reason for that is when a fetus is identified as female, it's much more likely to be aborted. And when it is born, it's much more likely to be abandoned and left exposed. And so what happens now is there are many rich families in the world who are having a hard time finding brides for their sons, which then goes into a lot of poorer families are being forced to sell their daughters, which leads to sex trafficking. According to the World Health Organization, which I know some of you love and some of you hate, but according to them, one in three women around the world will experience physical or sexual violence. One in three. According to UNESCO, one in four girls in developing countries will not be able to even complete a primary education. One in four. And so today, maybe you're watching online or you're here in this room and you're from a secular background and you read the Bible and you see polygamy and patriarchal systems and a verse about husbands are going to rule over their wives and you wonder, how could a modern, thoughtful person honor such a book? Well, we're going to talk about that this week and next week. Or maybe you're from a really churched background that had this culture that said a woman's job is to be barefoot in the pregnant, pregnant in the kitchen, making sandwiches for their men. I mean, if you're a woman and you want to do that, awesome. More power to you. I'm not saying you can't do it. okay? but what I'm saying is Ellen believes the Bible. When it is rightly understood, it affirms an equal community where women and men serve together and partner together on the basis of giftedness that God has gifted us to do certain things in the world, and that giftedness is going to best reflect God's intent for being image bearers in the world. That makes sense? Let's start there. So i got three points for you today. Number one is this. In the beginning, there were no Bible verses that sounded anti-women. Okay? In that culture, in those days, there are no Bible verses that sounded anti-women. So in Genesis, God creates men and women distinct and equal, yet they're meant to live together in harmony with one another and God himself. And in Genesis, there's actually no indication that one gender is superior or has greater value than the other. So if you're in Genesis 127, Genesis 128, the next verse, after creating Adam and Eve, this is what you read. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Men and women, both Get this mandate, men and women both shared responsibility. There isn't like a hierarchy here of who's better. It is perfectly mutual community and harmony with one another, co-equal image bearers of God, serving one another. And you look at Genesis, this is a huge leap forward for mankind in understanding the relationship with God and the relationship with one another. Now, if you go to Genesis chapter 2, you end up on certain verses that people have questions about. In Genesis 2, 18, when God makes the woman. So Genesis chapter 1, it's kind of this straight narrative. Boom, 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 create, create, create. Genesis 2, then comes how that gets filled out. So you get a much broader story. When I say filled, I mean F-I-L-L-E-D, not feel, but fill. Sometimes my wife says I mumble my words, so I'm just trying to throw it out there. Okay, Uh, so Genesis 2.18, it says this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And this is why we have to understand words, that words mean things in the original culture. Because we hear the word helper, and this is the Hebrew word for ezer, and we think, oh, she was made to help. When we hear helper, we think, oh, that's an assistant, that's a gopher, that's someone subordinate. The original word ezer for helper is used over 20 times in the Old Testament, and it's most often used of God himself. That's who most likely gets that word. God being our helper does not mean that God is your co-pilot. If, if God is your co pilot, you're going to wreck the plane because you are in the wrong seat. Every time we think we're the pilot, mm, boom, we just crash the plane. He's not our co pilot, he's the pilot. We follow him. Psalm 33, verse 20 Our soul waits for the Lord, he is our help and our shield. God is not inferior to those he helps. Helper does not mean less important. It was the idea that God created men and women for each other. We are not good on our own. And this doesn't even just refer to marriage. This means that in ministry, in life, as the gospel goes forward, we are meant to do this with one another as co-equal image bearers of God. God gives each person a partner who is equally and yet differently reflecting the image of God. So when God makes the woman, there's this other kind of weird thing that happens in Genesis 2. God will cause the man to fall asleep. And when he falls asleep, God's gonna remove one of the man's ribs in order to fashion the woman. Now, there's a whole lot of debate about this. Is this figurative? Is it literal language? What is that? I don't think any of that's the point, right? I think the point is that we sometimes use our words and we don't understand them. That word rib in Hebrew is this word called "sela." And it literally means side. Some of your translations may use the word side. It's a much better translation. Now, in architecture, this word is used to describe different sides of a structure. In the book of Exodus, when it talks about the ark or the altar, it will use this word to talk about different sides, but it's the same altar. And so when Genesis is stating that God created human beings as an image of him, he's saying he did that in two equal parts, side by side, no inequality they're not identical. We have different gifts and strengths, but we are equal in order to serve together. One flesh, co-equal. Still following? All right. All right. Now, as a quick side note, some people say, well, because the man was created first, well, he's superior because that's the created order. You got to be careful about that because what did God create before man? The animals. The animals. I know some of you guys act like your animal is more important than you. It's a woof, woof. There's someone in the well, Lassie. What do we got to do? Like, woof. Oh, you want to eat? No. Oh, come up on the couch. Sit in my favorite chair. I know you treat your animal like it's more important than you. It's not. It's not. But if you keep going with that idea, right? Oh, oh, what what if it's the other way? So, uh, oh, man was created after the animals. He's more important. What's created after man? The woman. Like, so, oh, so God's like, I'm through warming up here we go. I made a woman. Perfect. That's the culmination. See, you got to be careful of that it cuts both ways. What Genesis is telling us is that God and women are not lower on the org chart simply because the word helper is used. All right. Point number two, we are the ones who brought inequality because of our sin. We are the ones who brought, I know we want to blame God for it all the time, but we are the ones who bring it about. Anytime we start following ourselves and not what God calls us to in the gospel, we are going to bring inequality. So in Genesis, God gives prescriptions for mankind, what they're supposed to do, what they're not supposed to do. And they decide to not do what God called them to do, and they will break relationship with Him and relationship with one another. Now, we call this the fall because mankind fell headlong into sin. Now, there is this tree in the garden in this story. And I know people, oh, Eve ate the apple. We don't know it was an apple. I don't think it was an apple. It could be. It really doesn't matter at this point because we all messed everything up. But God said, just don't eat of this tree. Trust me in this. Don't disobey me. And in Genesis 3, 6, Eve eats of this fruit that God said, don't eat that. Then she gives some to her husband who is standing right next to her and he eats as well. And it's meant to show her action is not a solo action. It was both of them doing this. Both man and the woman participate in that sin of disobedience. And the harmony of the relationship, it changes instantly. As soon as they sin, that harmony goes away. And they start to fight with one another. Both the man and the woman sin, both the man and the woman, boom, disharmony when they fall. And not only that, creation itself fell. Everything that we were supposed to have stewardship and dominion over, that fell as well. Everything. This is why the world is messed up today, because we caused all of it. This is why we call it the fall. God will come into this situation and he will start his plan of rescue and salvation. God did not have to. God could have started over completely. Just wiped it out and said, I'm going to start over. But God doesn't do that. And so he has a plan that's unfolding. God will confront the man. And when God confronts the man, the man's like, oh, God, this is your fault. Since the last time you were here, she put on clothes. She's feeding me thing I'm not supposed to eat. This has really gone downhill. I cannot believe what, what you did here. You know, you gave me this woman. How dare you be so good to me? It's comical, and it's sad at the same time. God confronts the woman, and she admits, yeah, I was deceived by the serpent. They are both guilty. Both of them will end up suffering as a result of their actions. And one aspect of that brokenness and devastation, it's pronounced by God in this curse, Genesis 3.16, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, I don't know if that curse is just, boom, here's the curse, or God's just saying, this is how it is now because you guys ran away from me. Many people have grown up in churches today. Where that verse, that thing from the fall, it's like, oh, that's God's original intent. It's not. He will rule over you. That's part of the curse. That's part of broken relationships. It's part of what happened because of the fall. There's also pain in childbirth and thorns and thistles. And work is good, but work's going to be a lot harder than it needs to be. And ultimately, we're all going to experience physical death. And the idea that somebody is superior or somebody has to be in charge in a man and a woman relationship is not God's design. It's demeaning. And it gets worked out in many silly ways. It doesn't mean that we, again, don't have things that we're good at, that we're called to. But when we want to have superiority, it ends up getting worked out in silly ways. There's this old story. The CEO and his wife, they're driving, traveling somewhere on vacation. They stop to get some gas. The CEO gets out, and he starts pumping his gas. His wife goes into the mini-mart and starts buying something, and the CEO notices his wife is chatting up the, the service station attendant. She's like, that's weird. So they get back in the car, and they're driving on, and, and he says, hey, why are you chatting up the service station attendant? And she says, oh, I used to date that guy. And so the CEO goes, she's feeling really smug, and he goes, I bet you're glad you married me a CEO and not a service station attendant. And she goes, no, I was thinking if I married him, he'd be a CEO and you'd be a service station attendant. <laughs> now, we think that's funny, right? But that's the problem. Why is there this struggle? Why can't she be the CEO in the story? All right? Why can't that be? your better yet, why can't everybody find dignity and personhood in their contribution and work? Because what if someone is called in their heart to be a service station attendant? There's nothing wrong with that. Why do we have to find our identity and value in our spouse and our kids and our titles? Not that you can't find great joy in those things. But why don't we find our identity where God calls us to find our identity, which is in Him? And this is what God is teaching us. We are made to be image bearers of God. God has shown us the core of the reality of who He is. In God, in His triune nature, Father, Son, and Spirit, there is ultimate fellowship. Nobody in the Trinity says, I'm in charge here. The Trinity has one will. Actually, in theology, we call this simplicity. It's this whole doctrine called simplicity. Sometimes people will say, Oh, the Father sent Jesus to die for sins. That's divine child abuse. How dare He do that? No, one will. Father, Son, and Spirit deemed for Christ to come and die for our sins. The Father, Son, and Spirit delight in mutual submission and mutual servanthood that's way deeper than we will ever comprehend this side of eternity. And God makes human beings in His image to be His image bearers. And as the Trinity is three in one, ultimately men and women are supposed to become two and yet one. Right after the disastrous decisions that brought about the fall, this is when polygamy becomes prevalent in the Bible after the fall, not before. And it is true that those who play a major role in God's redemptive story do commit that sin. But God works through them because there are no sinless people who've ever lived other than Jesus. So God has to work now through fallen humanity. And so you have a guy named Jacob and God will rename Jacob Israel. Israel will have 12 Sons who end up becoming essentially the 12 tribes of Israel. He gets those 12 sons through two wives and two concubines. And concubine is not farm equipment. That's like a girlfriend on the side. So 12 sons come about by four different women. King David has many wives, and yet he is called a man after God's own heart. Not because he was sinless, but because he had a heart that really did want to worship God, but he was still sinful in that state. You have David's son Solomon ends up with 700 wives, 300 concubines, again, not farm equipment, and God calls it sin. This is not God's desire from the beginning. It is wicked how women are and were viewed as property, but the time period after the fall, all the way till today, it's filled with oppression and sadness, none of which are part of God's desire for His people And so we must understand the verses in the Bible that sound anti-women or misogynistic, where they were written and why they were written, or we're going to misunderstand everything about them. Now, again, context, the big picture. When the beginning of this series, I told you that N.T. Wright kind of breaks the biblical narrative into six different acts. Well, right now we are still in the act before Christ comes back. There is sin and injustice in the world. So we have to understand tragedy and injustice in light of where we are in the narrative. And why God also says the things that he says. Next week, I'm going to walk you through some amazing things that God did in the Bible to show the strength and equality of women. Next summer, I'm going to do a series and we're going to call it Not So Little Women. Yeah, yeah. I thought I just created myself. Uh, Today, I'm going to end with two things. Number one. Answering the crazy verse about women marrying a rapist that we started with. And second, I really briefly want to look at what God does in redemption by bringing us back to Christ himself. So point number three is this, how God still brings hope in the midst of our sin. So, let's start with the verse that I started with that sounds really crazy. Deuteronomy 22, verses 28 and 29. If a man meets a virgin who is not betrothed and seizes her and lies with her, and they are found, then the man who lay with her shall give to the father of the young woman 50 shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, because he has violated her. He may not divorce her all his days." Now, there are people who see that verse and they think that treats women as property. Not necessarily. Again, we have to understand and see this verse written to a culture that was living 3,000 years ago. We don't understand that culture because we don't live in that culture. We have time travel movies and, and TV shows. And I really think we get that all wrong too because anybody in those shows, they go back in time and they act like they do today. We are so irreverent. You went back in time and acted like you act today, you'd be in jail or worse We just don't understand the significance of what's being said because we don't understand that culture. So this verse is in the midst of hundreds of guidelines given to an ancient people group in response to some very despicable and desperate situation. And it was actually given to protect women. And you're probably thinking, how is that? I'm so glad you asked. I'll tell you how. So male dominance at that time exists like it does in many places today. A woman in that culture who was not married and had been sexually involved with a man, even if it was rape, was seen to have lesser value. Now that was not is wrong. The Bible does not condone that. That is what human beings brought about because of our sin. But at this time, a woman couldn't own property at all. And so she had no husband, no son, no living father. She would have no one to care for her. And she would have to sell herself into slavery or prostitution. Again, God didn't create that. Okay, that's us. It's human beings in their sinful state. But God does step in to give some dignity and respect to women in that culture. So in other places, like someone who is like a like a predator, like a serial rapist, God says that person deserves death because rape is like murder. But you have to understand when they use this word that we translate as rape, it doesn't mean everything that we think when we say the word rape. Rape could actually be a lesser version if a couple is together and whoops, we went too far, or I'm at a party, and woo, and I woke up next to this person. And that could be the same thing as well, because in betrothal and marriage, a woman was always supposed to be a virgin. So you got to put yourself in this culture in a way that responds, that takes all this into account, especially if the woman is no longer, quote-unquote, desirable for marriage. If she remains unmarried, her life is over. Without a husband, a brother, a father, she has no recourse. Being married is a matter of survival. Without one, she is neglected and impoverished. So God's working in the midst of this culture to prevent these type of things from getting worse. God, what he does, implements laws and ensures a woman will be cared for and not put out on the street to fend for herself as a result of a crime she did not commit. So for a woman in this culture, this man would now financially have to support her the rest of his life. Now, I know in today's world, women have a much better option. I think that's great, but that's not the case back then. And it sounds really weird, but in our modern equivalent, it would be like suing the perpetrator for financial support. He can never divorce her, and God is creating accountability to prevent and deter crime. You have these guys going to college today, and their whole goal is, how many women can I sleep with? Well, this would deter this right away, because every woman you sleep with, you're going to have to take care of them the rest of their life like, whoa, I don't have that much money. Exactly, grow up, all right? Um, So also what you have to understand in this, the victim is not required to marry that person. This isn't a requirement that she has to do this. It's the woman's legal right to do it, not the man's. She could pursue it if she wanted to or not. There's actually a command in another place given to the guy that says if she doesn't want to marry him, he still has to pay the 50 shekels of silver. Why 50 shekels? Because that was the bride price at the time, showing her value was still intact. He pays, she decides. Earlier in the book, if the woman has a father, this is done through the father, not because it's like, oh, good man. It's it's the idea that he is shielding her from this Violator, And again, I get it's weird to us, but God is making sure that a woman is not left on her own simply because a crime might have been committed against her. And using that verse out of context does great damage to the scriptures and what God's trying to do in the midst of a sinful and broken people. Imagine there's a guy and he's betrothed to a girl and they end up going too far and she's no longer a virgin. And the father of the guy says, well, you know what? You can't marry her now because she's not a virgin. You've got to go find somebody else. see something wrong with that. Yeah, and God's saying, "You can't do that. You can't do that." Do you see how much more sense it makes when you understand in the cultural context? Again, not that it's exactly what we would do today, but it makes much more sense. So let's push forward and ultimately look at the beauty of Jesus, because what Jesus taught is he's constantly steering us all back to the beginning and God's original intent. Uh, there's a lot about how Jesus dealt with men and women that challenged his culture to think differently. So. One time Jesus is teaching, and he's given this very confronting message. And in the middle of it, there's all of this tension. And so somebody stands up in the middle of this crowd with all this tension. And this is what they say, uh, Luke eleven twenty seven, 27. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. Right. So imagine getting get in a really just situation where everyone's like, oh, it's so uncomfortable. Just stand up and yell that. Oh, <laughs> blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. That'll just go over great. But in this culture, it was, it, was, it was true. In the ancient world, people would applaud that because a woman's highest calling was to give birth in, in Judaism to a male child because that might be the Messiah. You guys remember the movie 300? Like Sparta, we're like, oh, yeah, those Spartans, they were so great. Let me tell you about Sparta. In Sparta, if a mom gave birth to a son, she got twice the food rations than if she gave birth to a daughter. If the mom, uh, the only way women got their names on tombstones is if they died in childbirth, because for women, that was the heroic thing to do. Think about that. So Jesus doesn't say, oh, yes, Hail Mary full of grace. She got me into the human race. He doesn't say that. What he says is Luke eleven twenty eight: 28, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, why does he say that? Because this is a very provocative response. It's not about works. What this is telling you is that in the kingdom of God, women are not defined by the husbands they marry or the children that they bear. Not that those can't be amazing and wonderful things. But we are defined by the lives we offer to God as we worship and follow Him as His image bearers in the world, as a redeemed people. This is why the Bible is full of women who are portrayed as heroes. Not just mothers, but as leaders as well. Again, we're going to look at a few of those next week. But these are women who, when they understand the call that God places in their life, they place Him first before gender, before political party, before all of our self-perceived markers. And this is what the gospel brings. The gospel brings unity. Man-made movements do not bring unity. They constantly want to separate us into who's in and who's out. The gospel brings everybody in because we have all sinned against God. We have all fallen. And God is the one who comes and brings redemption to every single one of us. That's what God brings. I want Element to be a place where we teach our kids that men and women are made alike to serve in their giftedness with humility and joy that we would be those who serve one another in respect, that we would understand that we're all saved by the grace of God. And it's not based on our gender or our works, but by the work that Christ did for us. I also, because it's so often overlooked, I also hope that we'd be a community that honors singleness. Because in a lot of churches, people who are single, they don't feel like they can measure up or be involved because I'm single and I'm not married. Well, you have to understand the Apostle Paul commended singleness as an option for women and men because he believed that contributing as a disciple is more important than conforming to social norms about getting married. Singleness is a beautiful thing. And God intends for single image bearers of Him to live out the gospel in the world. And I want us to be a community that prays and works for the protection of men and women both, but really Women in our culture right now, in the home and education, in the workplace, all the places we live out our lives, because we are centered upon the gospel. Because let us be a people who know that we are made and loved by God, that we bear God's image, that we carry God's calling. One writer says it like this Together, let us show the world that is still broken by gender and sexuality what a community looks like when men and women serve and befriend and challenge and cherish one another in Jesus' name. Let's be that. Because of our focus on the gospel first. Why must our focus be on the gospel first? Because the gospel is what brings restored relationships. That's what the gospel does. For too many of us, we get focused on all these things, and all it does is start to bring division among people. We have all these movements and all these things we feel really strongly about. But all that does is put the people in the in and the outside and separates them further. The gospel shows that we have all been on the outside. We've all run from God himself, and God has brought us all back. God is the one who restores broken relationships, first with himself, and out of that comes restored relationships with everybody else around us. It starts with Jesus, and then it moves out into our lives. This is one of the reasons we come to this place of communion every single week, because communion takes us back to remember and understand the gospel. This is why you take the cracker. The cracker represents, as a memorial, of Christ's body that was broken for us. And what do we do? You break the cracker. It's a reminder that Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the juice, so it represents Christ's blood that was shed for us. It's meant to be a place that brings us back. You're so good at that. A place that brings us back to understanding the gospel itself. This is when Jesus says, you do this in remembrance of me. What are we supposed to remember? What he did. He died for us in our place. All the things that separated us from God, namely our sin, is taken care of by Jesus himself. And when our sin gets taken away, the result of the gospel becomes restored relationships. If our focus is on the gospel, we will naturally begin to have restored relationships. Our focus is not upon us. And all the things that we think we know and all the way that we get to figure it all out, our focus is on Jesus and what he did. And that's what community does. It resets us and reminds us. And maybe you are in a place today where you have looked down on other people or you feel like people have looked down upon you. And you just have that sitting in this this gnawing place in the midst of your heart. Well, if you want prayer, we'd love to pray with you about that. Grab Justine at the Welcome Center. She will connect you with one of us. And we'd love to pray with you and talk through those things with you because it can, be, it can be hard to move out of a place where you see others as less than you or if you have seen yourself as less because of how people have treated you, it's hard to move back out of that. But I'll tell you, our focus must first be on the gospel because that is helps us to understand what God has said about us, what God has called us into as a people. And that changes really everything. It really does. There's offering boxes next to all the doors. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. We do not pass a plate. It's always a response to what God has done. And I invite you to grab either the sermon notes in your app or, or right there and talk to your friends or your family or your gospel community or you know, whatever, to, about those. I mean, maybe, maybe you go home today, and, and you're alone, you're staring in the mirror. Ask yourself questions in the mirror. You know, just talk, kind of start talking through some of those, those questions to go back to you. What does equality actually look like? Because what do we mean when we define the word versus how God defines the word? I mean, when God defines it, we are called image bearers of him. Our equality is not that I can make more money than somebody else. It's, our equality comes back to the point of understanding who we were made in the image of. And I think if we understand that, all those other places of inequality in our culture will start to go away if our focus becomes the gospel first. And guys, I get it. Our culture is not going to go that direction anytime soon that I can see. But we as a people can. We as a people can live the truth in our lives and show what true gospel-centered lives look like. Not because we're saved by what we do, but because we see that we have first been saved by God himself. And that is the beauty of the gospel. God changes us and sends us to be as image bearers in the world. Let's be that by speaking about the truth of who God is and what he has done to bring us all back to himself. Restored relationship as a result of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us to understand what it means not just to be made in your image, but how we have all run from how you've created us to be and then also how you've come to restore us back to yourself. That we would understand the great hope that we have all received because of what you have done. God, I that you would teach us not to look at our own works and how hard we're trying to do all these things, but we take a step back and understand the work that you have done for us on the cross on our behalf to bring us to you. And we would see all the things that we now long to do in our lives as simply a response and thankfulness to your great love which has first been given to us. And I ask if we are those who look around the world and we see people who we deem as less than us, that you would convict our hearts of that. And we would see that clearly so that you would deal with it, your spirit would move us in these places to grow, to understand that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet we are all redeemed by the gracious gift of God. Teach us to have our focus go in the proper direction so that we naturally live gospel-centered lives that reflect you in all that we do. we ask this in your son's good name. Amen. As the curtains get dropped, just take a couple moments here and ask God to reveal to you in this moment, what are the places in your life where maybe you see someone as less than you? Maybe it's not a male-female thing. Maybe it's just, I I can't stand that person because they think this way or they do these things. All those things will eventually lead us to inequality when we place self-perceived markers between, between us and other people. And it doesn't mean that you can't disagree with somebody. What I mean is that we see people in their personhood as being less than. And I think God wants to move his people to move beyond that. That we are made in his image. There's dignity, value, and worth there. And those who don't know him and don't trust him, we want to share what the gospel truly is. The restoration that we've received. And that people can experience that as well. And this is why we want to talk about the good news of who Jesus is and all that we do. And so I would just take a few moments right now and ask God to reveal to you, where are those people in your life that you are viewing less than you? Or maybe you are in a spot where you feel like you've always been thought of as less than by other people. But the problem is, the more you sit in that place, the more you'll think those people that look down on you are actually less than you as well. Because it's this vicious thing that keeps going around and around and we must be open enough about the places where our hearts are drawn to want to separate ourselves from those God has has called us to speak the gospel to. When we understand what equality truly means, it means that we have all sinned, that we've all run from God, and God is now calling all people to himself. God's circle is the most inclusive circle in the world because he calls all people to himself, And when we do, we surrender our hearts and our lives and all of our self-perceived markers. And the central thing of our lives is who Jesus is himself. And then we live that out. So have God reveal to you, maybe what you have been putting your hope in, that's not him. And then come and take communion and remember that this is the place where our great God stepped into time to rescue and save us. Sing some songs with us. Head out into the world and live your life with the gospel being central to all things.